Lord Jesus, I thank you that you are the one who has called us by name to yourself. Uh, Lord, you are the one who has bestowed upon us the gift of salvation, the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I thank you that as your children we can join together in this gathering, in this family of believers, uh, to lift our names uh, to you and worship. Uh, as we reflect upon all the things that you have done for us, what you have provided for us, and what you continue to give to us, we cannot help but lift our voices to you in songs of praise and in songs of worship. We thank you, Lord, that you are not silent. We thank you that you speak. So, Lord, may your word dwell in us richly. May you uh, use your word today uh, to continue this process of transforming us. This process of, of sanctification, of us reflecting uh, your character in the fruits of the Spirit. So Lord, we thank you that we do have your Holy Spirit. And that in our lives we can bear the fruits of love and of joy and of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, and of self-control. Lord, apart from your Holy Spirit, we cannot bear this fruit. So send us, Lord, once again your Holy Spirit. Move among us, speaking to our hearts and the truth and the purity of your word. To your glory and to your honor, we pray. Amen. So we are continuing our sermon series on the fruit of the Spirit. And what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe in our minds there's all these ideas of, of uh, you know, uh, emotionalism in church. A lot of churches are focused on, on emotional responses. And they say because everybody's all emotional that that's the Holy Spirit. And, and, and we can't completely discount that because I certainly do believe that we can feel the Spirit and the presence of God within us. And it causes us to sing and to praise. And even the scriptures say to shout uh, for, for uh, to shout his praises. But really, if, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to begin to show forth the fruits of his Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is love. And that's then going to lead to the fruit of gentleness. And that's what we're on today. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Another word is meekness. To be filled with the Holy Spirit means that God is graciously and lovingly doing a work on the inside of me and of you. And that work is going to show itself in the way we interact with others with a spirit of meekness or of gentleness. But I'd like for us to, to also understand that the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to trust in Jesus alone. It's to trust in Jesus alone. We will produce the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But the, the fruit isn't the focus. Jesus is. Jesus is. 
Um, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness, but the key focus is, is to focus really on Jesus. Don't focus on the fruit, focus on Him. You see, Jesus hasn't called us to be fruit inspectors. We can easily take the fruit of the Spirit and we can turn it into something where we judge others, where we become, we become conceited and arrogant because other people are not producing fruit in their lives the way we think they should be producing fruit. So God hasn't called us to, to judge others or to be fruit inspectors. And probably one of, one of the, the most horrible things that can happen to us is we begin to, fr- to inspect our own fruit. So, so when I become a fruit inspector of, of, of the fruits of the Spirit of my own life, I begin to, to wonder, am I really a Christian? If the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, and I'm not... And I'm not Bearing that fruit in my life, I begin to wonder, am I really saved? Am I going to heaven? Because I look at this list, and I think that I have to to be like Jesus in order for Jesus to, to love me and to accept me. So it's, uh, it can be a scary thing when we look on the inside. But when I focus on Jesus, when I focus on Jesus, and not on my fruit, not on myself, but when I focus on Jesus, that's when I encounter and that's when I see the Savior who says, though you are not bearing the fruit of the Spirit the way you should in your life, He says, I love you. He says, I forgive you. He says, you are my child. You still have my Holy Spirit within within you. So stop focusing on the fruit and start focusing on me. Start focusing on Jesus. And when we focus on Jesus, the fruit almost becomes automatic. It's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not my fruit or your fruit. It is the work of God through the power of His Holy Spirit in our hearts. So let's not be fruit inspectors. Let's not focus on the fruit. Let's focus on the Savior. Focus on the truth of the gospel. And there we find in Jesus a source of strength and a source of power that isn't our own. It's given to us by faith. You see, I remember my earliest theological memories as a kid. And a lot of us who, who grew up in church, or maybe even if we didn't grow up in church, we had these, these concepts or these ideas of God. So, so what are your earliest theological or your earliest memories of God? Well, I know what mine were. I remember laying in bed, and I, and I would think that John 3.16 is too easy. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That all I have to do is believe. All I have to do is trust in Jesus. And I have the forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Oh, that's too easy. That's too easy. 
And so, so then I, I, would, I would begin to pray, Lord, I believe in you, I trust in you that you forgive me and that, that I have everlasting life, that I have heaven as a gift because of what you did. But then I would say, Lord, show me what else I have to do. There has to be something more that I'm required to do in order to be saved. You see, it's kind of uh, it's a concept that's completely foreign to the way that we operate in this world. That God gives this free gift of salvation, and it is a free gift. There's nothing that we can do to earn it. And then He promises to come after He gives us the gift of salvation, to fill us with the Holy Spirit, and to do a work in us that we're not capable of doing. So that when we do bear the fruits of love, and of joy, and of peace, and of patience, and of kindness and of gentleness, and of self-control in our lives. It's not us, it's the Holy Spirit. So we don't receive any glory or honor because it's all the work of God within us. And it's to His praise alone. So we think that it's Jesus plus. That's the way our natural mind works. It has to be Jesus plus, I've got to do something else. But the gospel says it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Christ alone. Christ alone. And so Paul wrote to the Christians in the ancient Roman city of Colossae, he wrote to the Colossians to correct this misunderstanding. Because the believers in the ancient Roman city of Colossae were were taught a heresy that they needed Jesus plus something else. That they needed Jesus plus these other things in order to really be Christians. And Paul says that their arguments and their, their teaching, it, it had the, the, uh, the, uh, the appearance of wisdom to it. But in reality, it was a false, it was a false teaching. And so the thing that I want you to hear today is that the, you only need Jesus. That Jesus is more than enough. And when you have Jesus, He's going to lead you by the power of His Holy Spirit down the path that you need to go in life. To live the life that you're called to live. To fulfill the calling that He's placed upon your life. Jesus is enough. And when you have Jesus, you have everything. So because of, uh, of this false teaching was creeping into the church, into the Colossian church, that said Jesus isn't enough, Paul wrote to the Colossians. And now the Colossians were being taught, taught this, Jesus plus. Jesus plus being concerned about the kinds of food or drink that they were consuming. So they were being taught you, have, you can only eat a certain type of food or drink a certain type of drink. Um, they were also concerned with, with festivals uh, or a new moon or, or a Sabbath with certain holy days. So they were being taught that if you don't observe these holy days, then you're not really a Christian. Uh, they were being taught about this asceticism, this, this uh, severe self-discipline. That if you don't live this ascetic life, then you're not really a true Christian. And then there's this strange thing too, and we really don't understand all of it, but they also included the worship of angels. 
So it's hard for theologians to understand what was going on in this church. They're being taught these weird things about, you know, these Jewish uh, traditions. Uh, the, the, they thought that they had to, 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 to obey these Jewish traditions in order to be strong Christians. Then there, there's, there's this weird thing about worshiping angels. Uh, details about visions. So it was this, this, this uh, heresy of Jesus plus all these other things. And Paul writes to the Colossians and he says that Jesus is enough. If you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. And Paul says these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But he says, but they are of no value. They are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh in Colossians 2, 21 and 23. So Paul urges the Colossians and you and I to trust in Christ alone. Trust in Jesus plus nothing. When you trust in Jesus plus nothing, you have everything. You have all that you need. You don't need to worry about inspecting fruit, inspecting the fruit of others, or inspecting your own fruit, because you have Jesus. So Paul wrote to the Colossians, we'll get into the passage now from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. There, Paul writes, If then you have been raised with Christ, did you know that you're raised with Christ? That you are a resurrection child of God? If then you have been raised with Christ, he says, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are earth, on earth. He says, for you have died. Did you know that you died? And that your life is hidden with Christ in God? When Christ, is, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So you have been raised with Christ and you have died with Christ. The New Testament speaks of our salvation as a death and a resurrection. Those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ have died. They've died to their own sinful nature. And, but they have also been raised. So you are raised with Christ, dead to sin. Alive in Christ Jesus. In Galatians 2.20, the Apostle Paul wrote, I have been crucified with Christ. You have been crucified with Christ. And Paul says it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You've been crucified with Christ. The old sinful flesh is dead. It is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. In Jesus you have died. 
and you have been raised. And Paul says that we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Paul and Jesus spoke of it as you, have, you must be born again. So there's this new life that's given to us. The old dies and the new comes. The old is gone and the new has come. And this is why the Apostle Paul wrote, Seek the things that are above. Set your minds on things that are above. You see, the Bible warns us against seeking earthly things. Remaining faithful to the context of Colossians, that means us not adding man-made rules and belief systems. We should never go down the road of Jesus plus. Jesus plus something else. And, And don't be like me. Don't become a fruit inspector. Inspecting my own fruit. Freaking myself out because I think, oh man, I'm not really a Christian. Because I'm not as loving or as gentle as I should be. Sometimes my wife says, you know, (laughs) oh man, we went in to talk to a financial advisor one day. And sometimes I can get really intense. And so we came out of that meeting and my wife was like, you scared that man. (laughs) And I said, what? Yeah, she says, sometimes you scare people. (laughs) So sometimes I kind of have to back it off a little bit. Not be so intense. To be gentle. So the Apostle Paul says... Then, in Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 4, he says, because we have died with Christ and we've been raised with Christ, he says, put to death, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Put to death what is earthly in you. And then he lists sexual immorality. The, the word in the Greek for sexual immorality is this word pornea. And that's where we get the word Pornography. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. And then he gives this warning. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's so true. That there is a day of judgment. This is why we preach the gospel. So that people will hear the good news of the forgiveness of sins and of new life in Jesus. So on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And then he says, in these you too once, once walked when you were living in them. Verse 8, but now you must put them all away. Here's the opposite of gentleness. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouths. Do not lie to one another. See that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And here there's no division. Right now there's, there's been a concern within our nation for, for decades about racial division and racial, racial tension. But where there's a church There isn't Greek or Jew. There isn't black or white. Asian or Latino. All the racial divisions should be erased, especially within 
the church. Here there is not Greek and Jews, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So it's in Jesus that we experience this unity. People of diverse backgrounds coming together as one holy nation in Jesus. Verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, put on then as his chosen ones, holy and beloved, here's the gentleness, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And I don't like this one, bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. This is so hard, especially within the world that we live in. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We must forgive. Verse 14, and above all, these put on love. See, love is the source If you don't have the love of Christ, you don't have joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or faithfulness or gentleness or self-control in your life. So love is the foundation which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. How does the Holy Spirit do this work in our heart? Verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Richly. Abundantly. We get to be people of the word. We get to be a people who open up the scriptures. And uh, that allow the scriptures to speak into our hearts. That's how the Holy Spirit does his work within us. The word is central. The word is key. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything. Not just what we do here on Sunday, but what we do out in the workaday world as you go to your jobs, as you interact with your neighbors and your family. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. And giving thanks to God the Father through him. But the key to all of this, the key to us, first of all, hearing the message of Jesus and believing is the word of God, the scriptures. There is no way that we would ever hear about Jesus if it wasn't for the Bible. So the Bible is key to our salvation. For faith comes by what? By hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. And then as we grow in Christians, we're people who open our Bibles and we read our Bibles because the Holy Spirit is doing a a work through His Word in us and through us. So the key part of our passage today is this, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Does God's Word dwell in your hearts richly? That's a convicting thing to think about. So I urge Maple Park Church, not so that we look better than everybody else, not so that we can be puffed up and arrogant about how much we know about the Bible, 
but that his word would dwell in us richly. That his word would guide us and direct us. That his word would strengthen us and nourish us. You see, God, God wants you to know him. To trust in him. And the only way you're going to know God, really know God and trust in him is through the word. You see, there's a, there's a vertical dimension to our lives as disciples of Jesus. And that, and that uh, vertical dimension is that God speaks to us. He speaks to us through His Word. So we live in relationship to God. And through His Word, He's present with us in the power of His Holy Spirit. And so we enter into this relationship with God. God speaks to us. And then also within this vertical dimension of our lives as Christians, we speak to God. We call it prayer. He's our friend. He's our Father. He speaks to us and we can speak to Him. We can build a relationship with God. God talks. Now, if if you were to talk to the, the average audience within North America and you were to say, God talks to me, they would probably think you're crazy. They would think there's something wrong with you. But God does talk to me, and He talks to you. And the way He speaks to us is through His Word. That is the primary way that He speaks to you and I. So God speaks. He talks. And we talk to Him. And through that relationship with God, through His Word, the Holy Spirit does a work of transformation inside of us so that we begin to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So there's a relationship to God through faith in Jesus. But we, we can't forget, we, we, sometimes Christians are just so focused on the, the vertical, and throughout the history of Christianity, many people have escaped into the wilderness to get away from people so because, because they think that their, their relationship with God is all that matters in life. So they, they would go, they would live uh, this monastic life, and they would go out into the desert, and they would just spend time alone for years with no contact with other people. But, but that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of Jesus. That's not the way of discipleship. We're not called to monasticism. To live as hermits in the wilderness just praying and reading the scriptures all day. There's a time for that, right? Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to spend time in prayer. So there is a place for that, but it's not our life. It's just a brief interlude where we can get away and rest and be refreshed. It's one of the reasons why we do retreats and we do things like Bible camp. It's an interlude in life where we can hear from God. God has also called us to the horizontal, which is our relationships with each other, and even our relationships with an unbelieving world. So we can't forget the horizontal dimension of our lives as disciples. Jesus wants you to live in relationships, in relationship with his church, in relationship with our families, of our neighbors. 
See, when a person's trusting in Jesus, they are not removed from significant relationships. But our relationships with others take on a whole new attitude. And that attitude is, is defined by the fruits of the Spirit of love, which is going to manifest itself in gentleness towards one another. Another word for gentleness is meekness. We are to be a people who are meek in our demeanor towards others. Some people associate meekness with weakness. That if you're meek, that means you're weak. But I'm going to say this, it takes a strong person to be meek and to be gentle. It takes a strong person filled not with their own strength, but with the strength of God to respond in gentleness when you feel like your rights have been violated. It takes a strong person to respond with gentleness. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. You see, we live, live in a very harsh world. We don't see a whole lot of gentleness in this world that we live in. Things like politics have caused us to become divided. And not only are we divided, we fight and we argue. We're vicious with one another. Violence breaks out in our city streets. See, when we talk about politics and hot-button issues in our society, we don't talk. We yell. This isn't the fault of, of just one side of the political spectrum. Both the political left and the political right are guilty. And the church has inserted itself into politics for some strange reason, as if we need to add something more to Jesus. And so oftentimes the church, the church is spilling venom and anger. There's no, church, no, there's, no, uh, there's no fight like a church fight. <laughs> if you've ever been in a church for any amount of time, you know what I'm saying. How should we live? One of my uh, favorite movies, and last night we were at this uh, get-together with the church, different families gathering in different homes. Next time we have it, I encourage you to do it. It was just a blessing uh, to join uh, in visiting with people from the church uh, last night, just smaller groups kind of gathering for a meal together. We were talking about our favorite movies, and <clears throat> so uh, I was, didn't think of it at the time, but I was thinking this morning, one of my favorite movies is this movie called To End All Wars. It, uh, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland uh, stars in it, and it was actually, the, the script is based off of a true story of a POW who was taken captive by the Japanese. Uh, it was a, uh, a Christian that wrote the script and produced the movie. This movie uh, really uh, illustrates what it really means to live as a Christian. So this, this movie follows the story of these Scottish troops in World War II who were taken captive by the Japanese. 
and they were treated terribly. What they underwent under their captivity under the Japanese was, was absolutely horrific. Basically starved. Most of them died, starved to death, infected with horrific diseases. And all the while, they're forced to build the Burma Railroad and the bridge over the River Kwai. If you've been around for a long time, you probably remember a, a famous movie, The Bridge Over River Kwai, which tells the story of how the the Allied troops booby-trapped the bridge and blew it up. Well, he was a part of that. They called the railroad that they built the Railroad of Death because so many Allied troops had died as captives of the Japanese building that railroad. But he, the, the, the author of, his, of this memoir and the, 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 the book that the movie's based off of, he, he, he tells the story of, of them building a church in the jungle. And they began to read the Bible and they began to study the scriptures. And they began to study other literature. They called it their jungle university. And as they studied the teachings of Jesus, their hearts began to change. Even their heart towards those who held them captive as prisoners and those who treated them horrifically. Our hearts began to change. And they actually began to work harder and to be more respectful. In turn, the Japanese treated them better. Life got easier to a certain extent. It was still horrific, but somewhat easier for these troops. Then one day, towards the end of the war, the Allied troops were making advances into Asia, and they had bombed a distant outpost of Japanese soldiers, and some of these Japanese soldiers had to abandon their posts, which is dishonorable within Japanese uh, tradition. If you're Japanese, you fight until the death. You do not surrender. So these Japanese troops that had abandoned their post, they came to the concentration camp. The captain of the concentration camp said, you guys are a disgrace, basically. Get out of here. We don't want you here. They couldn't get the truck started to leave. These men who had been impacted by the truth of Jesus, by the truth of the Word of God, did something incredible. They went up to these Japanese men who had been injured in the Allied bombing, and they began to care for them, to dress their wounds, to give them water, to treat them with gentleness. Let's go ahead and watch the clip from the movie to end all wars. I know they're having problems with it earlier. was also hit nearby. The wounded had abandoned their posts looking for help.
Someone please get me some water. Apostle Paul writes, the fruit of the Spirit is love. Love will manifest itself in gentleness. Not only towards those that we like, but even towards our enemies. So maybe today for you the challenge is, who is it that's in your life? Who in your life would you consider to be somebody that you really don't like? It's hard for you to show the love of Christ or the gentleness of Christ towards. What is God calling you to do? How is he calling you to act towards those that you would even despise? Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, we thank you for the power, for the truth of your word. We thank you that you are, first of all, meek and gentle towards us. We only deserve your wrath. But Lord, you haven't given us what we deserve. You've given us your grace. You've lavished upon us your mercy, the forgiveness of sins, a new life that's lived in relationship with you, an eternity that's secure in you. Lord, help us to show the same meekness, the same gentleness. Let us show the attitude of Christ towards all. May our church be an example of what it means to bear the fruit of the Spirit within this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.